The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged. My name is Jess and wherever you are, whatever you're doing today, thank you so much for joining us. We're glad you could be here. I am joined today by Glenn Williams. He is the Chief Human Resources Officer with Crisis Preparation and Recovery. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Jess. It's good to be here this afternoon. So I want to get into a little bit about what your job entails and then kind of how you ended up in this field and uh, with this company. So the first piece of that, Chief Human Resources Officer, in my mind, I always see human resources as that sort of neutral, supportive space for the employees and the company. Um, what does your job look like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, on a day-to-day basis, my job looks like a lot of emails and meetings <laughs> and conversations. And But seriously, what we do, what human resources does at our best uh, when we work with an organization is, you know, we, we help with with the the obvious things like hiring people, bringing people into the organization, helping to recruit new talent. Um, We help with policies so that the workforce understands um, what are the company policies that we have and how can we make those policies work better for employees and the company. And and then, um, you know, we spend some time in that space of what we call employee relations, making sure that the workforce feels good about the environment and, you know, we get involved with problem resolution and conflict resolution and those types of things. And so um, in many ways, those of us who practice HR, we consider ourselves the jack of all, tra- of all uh, trades because we find ourselves involved with so many um, aspects of employment. Um, and pretty much it's kind of hard to, you can't run a company without employees. And so wherever employees are, we're going to be there someplace supporting them and leaders um, and the company overall. So um, we try to um, do our best to help support the environment so people can do their best work. Um, and that's a bit cliche, but that's, that's kind of what we do when we're, when we're working at our best, um, the employees at the company can do their best. What are some of the things you love about your job? Oh, gosh. I love the interaction and I love the fact that every day is different. And so um, people um, are uniquely wired, right? We're all different. And so we all have different needs. And so every day there's a different um, opportunity or problem to solve, which is an opportunity. So I love the variety that comes with human resources. Um, there's, there's no, there's no end of opportunities to see new things, have new conversations, solve new problems. And so um, that's kind of what I love the most about human resources and why I've been in this field for so many years. What are some of the things you run into that are more challenging aspects of your position? Yeah, the more challenging things is uh, an example of that where there's a disconnect between employees and the company and maybe um, employees aren't feeling good about where they sit in the company as far as how they're performing or how the company is performing. And so that space can be a little tough sometimes, or maybe someone isn't meeting the expectations that the company has for them 
from a performance standpoint, um, that's not fun, right? When you get into that space of, of where you have to have those tough conversations at times with people. Um, so that's probably the, the least fun part of what we do. Have you always worked within the mental health care field? No. Um, the mental health care field is new for me. So my background as far as the, the bulk of my HR experience and my um, working experience has been in the insurance field. And I worked uh, in the property casualty insurance field. And so behavioral health is, is, is new to me in terms of being a part of this community. Um, and so, which kind of begs the question, well, how did I, you know, how did I land in behavioral health? Well, when I left the insurance industry, I struck out on my own with an independent practice and I did that for a while and I enjoyed that. And, and without talking about the recruiting story itself about how I, I got here, um, you know, when I had the opportunity to be considered for CPR and I did my research and, and really dug into some of the details of what our company does, um, I very quickly became attracted to it because um, the work that we do at our company is, is severely needed. It's significantly needed. It's important work. It's valuable work. Um, we support the community in a way that so often is unseen, right? You know, people don't, you can't literally see a broken heart or a broken soul. And we help people with those, you know, the part of brokenness that's not, that's unseen. And so um, that's such, that's such an empowering thought to think that our company does that type of work. And my wife's in the behavioral health field as well. And so she's been talking to me years about, you know, how excited, how exciting the field is and what she does and what a counselor does and, you know, the licenses and the designations and all of the credentialing. And none of that really, you know, had, I didn't really have a place for it until um, I actually joined CPR. And so I found myself now, who, we never would have thought both of us would have ended up in behavioral health together. But uh, what attracted me is the work that we do and it's, and, and it's needed. And the tie-in to human resources, so I'll kind of go maybe take a chapter out of my experience. One of the things that you see in human resources, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right, of, of, of organizations. And so you see people struggle. You see the struggle that, that, that employees have outside of the workplace, right? That those, those challenges that they have to overcome just to be able to walk in the door. And I had a uh, opportunity to do some work one time with the company where I saw that, I saw those challenges. They were very visceral, they were real. And it was so difficult for people to be able to show up at work. And what became very clear to me is that um, a lot of those folks were suffering from, and I'm not a clinician, so I'm, I'm throwing out a layperson's observations, but a lot of those individuals were suffering from um, what I think were, 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 were situations where they would have benefited from having um, a, a counselor. They would have benefited from having someone helping them work through dysfunction in their lives. And it's the type of dysfunction that kept them from being able to 
you know, come to work, be at work on time, to be at work consistently, just working with significant issues. And um, many of them, um, I saw these folks um, in a state of outwardly, um, not a clinical diagnosis of depression in terms of just not feeling good about themselves. And I, and I, I thought to myself in that environment, before I even came to CPR, I said, you know, it would really be great to have an on-site counselor for some of these folks because they don't really have anyone to turn to. Um, EAP was of limited availability to them, but they needed someone that they could, you know, look at face to face who could speak, you know, wisdom into their lives, who they could pour their soul out to. And I could do a little bit of that as an HR professional, but just a little bit because that wasn't my primary job. So I tried to be a ear where I could, but um, that's not my training or my wheelhouse. And so that experience profoundly affected me from the standpoint of understanding um, how fragile people can be and how much, and how even a little support can go a long way sometimes. Yeah, just a Most little definitely. support can go a long way. And so, um, being attracted to the work at CPR and how I got here, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hard sell for me to align myself with, with this type of company and the type of work that we do and the type of uh, people that we help. So you bring up such a good point about all the different things that people come to HR for. I mean, bereavement leave and, you know, right now, especially with COVID and with yes. civil unrest and, um, there, there's a lot of things up in the air right now, a lot of uh, stressors that people are just trying to manage day to day. Uh, how do you bridge that gap? What's your role in those situations? You know, um, some of it involves uh, being an ear, right? Um, being an audience um, for frustration, for concern, for... Um, maybe for a lack of knowing who to turn to in, in some cases where someone just needs to have an outlet for their concerns. Uh, other situations involve pointing out resources where people may be able to um, gain some resources, some assistance, some support uh, for what they're going through. And I'm glad you brought up the uh, situation of civil unrest because one of the things that we see that's being um, graphically portrayed in the media, uh, we're seeing all types of violence, right? And all types of violence that, um, you know, speaks to a level of, of, of certainly insensitivity or lack of understanding or lack of uh, civility. And uh, that's traumatizing, you know, it's, it's, it's traumatizing for a lot of folks. And so I've, you know, listen to people kind of work through that, you know, in their heads as far as where do I go with this? What do I do with this? What do I do with the image of, of seeing someone um, killed um, on television? Or where do I go, you know, with seeing someone shot on, in television? Where do I go with these images of, of violence that continue to permeate our, our airwaves? Um, and so, for me, it's, it's being in that place of being a supportive ear, uh, being, an attentive, being attentive 
to, to the concerns that, that come to my attention, certainly, and um, being as reassuring as I can be in that space um, because it is challenging. Now, having said that, I consider myself an optimist um, at heart. And at the end of the day, you know, um, I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be in a position to help. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have employment. I'm personally grateful for the opportunity to be COVID free, if that's, if I can say that. And, and so I tend to support from, from a space of optimism. Um, and, and that, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I roll when I'm, you know, trying to support people, but it's, but it can be challenging, right? It can be challenging because we're all wired differently. And, and so I, I've referred quite a few people to our EAP program and, and I hope, and this is a commercial right now, anyone who's listening to this, if you have an EAP or if your company has an EAP and you're thinking about calling it, call it. If you think you might need it, you do. Um, it, it's, it's such a great resource and, and generally there, there are some free sessions that go along with that, but it's a simple way of, of getting, giving you an opportunity to debrief on some tough stuff. I've used EAP um, in my past. I will use it again if I feel like I need to. And so I, I can't say, I can't speak highly enough of, of those types of resources. Um, tap into, we have a you know, peer support network here at the company call them, call, call, call your peers, call the network, you know, reach out. Don't, don't struggle alone. Mm -hmm. That's such an impactful message. Do you ever find that it is a, a heavy burden or a difficult burden to bear the situation that you're in or the position you're in and the things that you hear, the things people bring to you? Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it is. It is at times. I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't, necessarily process it that way but when you say it yeah it, it is weighty sometimes because um you want to be able to help right you want to say something reassuring you want to be able to um uh, make that pain go away but you see that person experiencing or that stress that they're encountering but in reality um i have to recognize my own limitations that each of us has to walk through that experience ourselves on our own, not alone, but on our own. And so, um, yeah, sometimes that's tough because I'm a fixer. I want to fix it. I want to, I'm a problem solver. I want to solve that problem. Um, you know, I think I have the answers. If you would ask my wife, I know everything, but um, <laughs> I think I have the answers to these questions, but sometimes you don't have an answer. And the only thing that you can, you know, realistically do is, is, is be a supportive listener. Okay. Well said. So do you have any, um, and feel free to share as much or as little as you are comfortable. Do you have any personal experience with, um, mental health struggles in your life? Absolutely. Um, and when I say it that way, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, am one of those individuals who, um, you know, I thought I was fairly well read and, and, um, you know, I had heard about depression, right. And, and I kind of, I kind of knew what it was and I'm doing air quotes for listeners. And so you, you kind of think you know what something is until you experience it. Right. 
And so I remember sitting in a doctor's office one time and, you know, I was telling my doctor, you know what, I'm having trouble. I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I can't read. I can't do, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know what's going on. And so he kind of asked me a lot of questions and, 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 and I think these might be stereotypical, not stereotypically, but classically associated with um, the assessment questions or something for depression or something like that. And he was asking me these questions and, and, and I wasn't outwardly sad. I wasn't inwardly sad, but he said that he, I was suffering from a form of depression. It's like, well, I'm not depressed. <laughs> well, that's not possible. <laughs> and so I was in a bit of a denial uh, at that conversation. And he was uh, able to explain to me, you know, the neurological, the biochemical, the environmental, and all of the factors that go in, and the genetic factors, which I hadn't thought about. And, you know, after I'd kind of gone through that, I learned later from my siblings oh yeah, that runs in our family. I'm like, what? <laughs> How did I not know that? <laughs> well, and that's such a good point. A lot of times families don't have those conversations. Exactly. And so it just wasn't something that uh, I, I had ever considered. It wasn't something that I thought of. Um, he was able to help me uh, with some minor intervention. And so, but I was so, that was my personal experience. But what it did do, was it opened my eyes to, um, uh, it, it's a topic that, as you said before, we don't talk a lot about. And so you assume you know things, but you really don't. And so kind of my experience or my wake up for that was yes, just being diagnosed um, at, at a point in my life. Um, and I can't say that there was anything going on that precipitated it, you know, but, um, you know, the, the, the interesting piece about that was just with a very little bit of what I'm going to call minor inter, minor intervention or very short-term intervention, um, I was back to what I would consider my normal self. And so, what I what makes me wonder when I when I think about myself and I think about other people, how many people go with no intervention? How many people go with no help? How many people go without? you know, having a supportive conversation where someone can identify that, whether it's their physician, whether it's their aid counselor, or whether it's someone who's, you know, trained to observe uh, particular things. And so I just feel grateful that, you know, I had a physician who was able to help me kind of figure out what was going on um, and help me get some support that I needed in that particular moment. So, and I, and I just wonder, you know, how many people walk around who need some support, but don't have it. Uh -huh. Or like you said, how many people would not even consider maybe there is something, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the word wrong is, is the right word, but maybe there is something that could use some attention. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, and as I said before, for me, it didn't show up in, in the form of sadness or, 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 or my affect had changed or anything like that, it, it literally, I, I couldn't read. I, I, when I say I couldn't read, I couldn't read, a, I couldn't read a complete sentence without stopping. And I thought, well, do I need new glasses? <laughs> do I need a new monitor? And so when I was trying to explain what was going on to my physician, uh, he quickly, like it, it was, he very quickly um, was able to help me kind of 
triangulate on, on what was going on. But for me, I, I thought, well, gosh, you know, this is strange, you know, so, but it was, yeah. but it was good to have that support. And uh, I feel very fortunate that I had the support that I needed at that particular time. And I, and I hope others, you know, um, you know, have the courage or, or the, or the opportunity or the support to be able to, you know, talk to someone uh, if you, if, if, if something doesn't feel right to you, take a moment to check that out, see what's going on. Mm-hmm. What do you do to maintain your own uh, mental and emotional wellness now? Oh, meditation. Um, that's, it probably sounds cliche. Everybody meditates, you know, the whole world is meditating now, but at the same time, you know, clearing my head, going through those rituals of relaxation, um, clearing my head of clutter, um, decompressing, um, letting go of things, not, not, you know, not allowing myself to become, uh, too consumed with, with what's going on, you know, in terms of the social unrest, because, you know, I can only watch a little bit of the news. I read a little bit, but protecting what comes in, right? You know, kind of filtering that input. So because um, I, if I fill myself up with everything that's on social media and everything that's in the news and everything that's on television, that that's not going to, you know, that's not going to protect my well-being in the long run. So I kind of filter what comes in. You know, there's, it doesn't mean I don't allow negativity to, you know, <laughs> um, ever come in. But at the same time, there's a, a little bit of the news goes a long way for me. I'll say it that way, you know. So I just kind of filter the input so that I'm not barraged. There isn't a barrage of negativity coming into my life. Um, exercise and, and I try to eat well. Um, you know, that type of thing. And so sleep. So I protect my sleep, I protect my eating and I exercise and I do all of the things that your doctor tells you to do. <laughs> <laughs> like the ideal patient. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, but, but kidding aside, those things work, right? I mean, it works. It does mm-hmm. work. It makes a difference. And so what I've learned is to try to go with those things that help try to you know, limit those things that don't or avoid those things. Uh, that sounds very simplistic, but I have found that, that it works. Well, I love that idea of filtering. I'm going to steal that from you because just, you're right. We're sometimes bombarded all day in different ways. Like you said, social media, in the news and all kinds of different outlets. Um, so I like that. I think I could probably use a little bit more of that right now. Right. And then we can't do anything with it. Right. So, so it all comes in. So it's all coming in all of this, you know, this information and it doesn't necessarily have to be negative, but all of this information is coming in. And so what do you do with it? And so it, I think it plays around someplace in, in, in your, in your head. Um, and I don't know what that looks like uh, from a psychological standpoint, but it probably has to go someplace. And so I figure if I can limit the amount that comes in, I can, you know, use a little more of my brain power for some things that I think are, are, are better uses of that brain. Mm-hmm. Well, and balancing it, yes. right? When you're, when you're taking care of yourself, you have the capacity to um, take care of others and, and 
show up in a meaningful and impactful way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the other thing too, it's, um, as I think about, you know, kind of going back to this, this, this theme of, of social unrest, because that's, that's obviously very prominent right now. And, and when we look at politics, um, and we look at everything that's being portrayed on the media, media, from a media standpoint, there is so much negativity. There is so much, um, uh, I don't want to use the word hate, but hate might apply, but there, but we're locked into, you know, such oppositional views, right? And everything is oppositional. All of the dialogue is oppositional. And so people are entrenched in opposition. And, and, and a question that I, you know, just keep asking myself is, you know, where's the love? Can we find the love for one another? Right. And I understand that's a hard, sometimes it's a hard place to get to, but that's kind of, you know, where I try to put my head, you know, where, you know, where's the, where's the common ground? Um, is there a common ground in, in, in any of this that's going on? Um, how can we collaborate? How can we co-create? Um, you know, it's easy to be opposed to something, but what can we do to make it better? Right. What can we do collectively to get better? Um, and so that's, that's kind of where my head is. I, I, I kind of get worn out by the, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to say or diminish uh, feelings of where of frustration where people um, feel a certain way about what's happening from a societal standpoint. So I, I get that and I appreciate that. But by the same token, I also hope that we're, we're leaving room in our hearts for, for change and growth and love and, and joy. Um, because I think those are the, I think those are important tools for us to arrive at a good place together as well. That's beautiful. I think that's, that's a beautiful message to leave our listeners with. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc., the intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 